Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. My goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Today, I'm joined by Michael Feldman, a psych major turned software developer at LinkedIn and beyond. He's also an entrepreneur, as I can personally attest to, as I have the privilege of helping him test his latest iOS app. Now, I worked with Michael at LinkedIn, and he holds a very special place in my heart. He was the first Slack message I had when I opened up my company laptop, welcoming me to the team. Michael went above and beyond helping me onboard to LinkedIn, and I was blessed to work with him on my very first project. He recently left LinkedIn to pursue another opportunity, but he left on great terms, and to say the team misses him would be the understatement of the century. He's one of the most sincere people I've ever met, and he taught me a ton in our limited time together, not just about development, but about being a better person. Michael, Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast. I am so glad that you agreed to come on and tell your story about breaking into tech. How have you been? I've been great. And thank you so much for that kind intro. I could say so many of those things about you as well. It's been great working with you over the years, or I guess months, not years, and uh, just growing as a developer because of the interactions I've had with you. And I feel like, you know, you're one of the most genuine people I've met as well. And it's just been a great experience overall working with you i i really appreciate those kind words and i guess i wanted to start at the very beginning michael like like growing up i think you so were you born and raised in omaha like what did that look like yeah i was born and raised in omaha uh, my family technically so there's a little suburb of omaha called bellevue that my family lived in initially and then we moved to papillion after a few years but i'm um, in the omaha area my whole life okay now, were you like, what kind of stuff did you do for fun? Were you taking apart computers by the age of three? Were you just that natural or, or what'd you do? So growing up, I had an older brother and he was very into video games and things like that growing up. And I remember a lot of the time that I, like a lot of the free time that I had as a kid, I'd be playing video games with him. He like showed me how to play Super Smash Bros and um, Legend of Zelda and RuneScape. And I think I was around like six years old, so my parents didn't let me play all the time. But whenever I could, I loved being on a computer, loved playing games. And uh, I just loved being competitive. And I loved playing sports with my brother. I loved, you know, trying to learn what he was learning in school, things like that. So I would say definitely early on competition was a big driver for me, honestly, and, and learning new things and exploring things. Very cool. Sports and games. And I have to double click on the Zelda. Like what was your favorite Zelda game if you had to just pick one? Because I also played it. Yeah, Ocarina of Time for sure. Okay. Is what I spent the most time playing. Okay. And uh yeah, there there are some other games I'm sure that I play that I can't remember right now, but remember like Zelda, RuneScape, and StarCraft as well was a big one. I think my favorite was the the Super Nintendo version, a, a link to the past. I never got to enjoy the N64 and on, but yeah, I, I Zelda played a special role in my own life as well. So that's very cool. So Omaha was, was Omaha, it, it doesn't, until I joined LinkedIn, I didn't associate, you know, Omaha with being like a, a tech hub, so to speak. So does Omaha facilitate the culture? Was it the environment kind of conducive for you to grow into that role eventually looking back? I would say Omaha has more of a tech culture than people think. And, you know, maybe it hasn't been that way for very long, but I think definitely now there are events around Omaha where you can go and get connected to people working in tech. Just a couple of weeks ago, I went to a, a Christmas kind of theme party where, you know, you just go and socialize, get to know people. Maybe you're looking for a job. You can talk to somebody who's 
um, hiring, things like that. And then like LinkedIn has an office in Omaha and I wasn't aware that they had an office until, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and like I said, I feel like there, there are tech jobs in Omaha and um, I think sometimes people just aren't that aware of the tech scene. Okay. I know that was the case for me. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, so and growing up, did your, did your parents encourage the, the gaming and for you to like explore, were they, were they understanding of your interests? Yeah, for sure. And I would say when I was around 10 or 11 years old, maybe, maybe a couple years older, I can't remember exactly, but my mom, she was actually a teacher at the time and her job was to teach teachers how to use iPads in their classrooms. And so she'd come home and talk about, you know, these really cool apps that all these kids are using to, to learn about math and science and all this. And I thought it'd be really, really cool if I could make an app or do something with programming. And so as soon as I kind of got in, in that frame of mind, my parents were very supportive, like, oh, yeah, here's this thing called Scratch. And it's like a drag and drop kind of interface. And you can make these little programs. And then there's another program called Alice that my parents found for me. And I kind of played around with that as well. And eventually... Um, there was this camp that came to Omaha and it was called Youth Digital. I think they were based out of North Carolina and I think they got acquired. Like, I'm not sure if they're a thing anymore, but that camp is when I really got my first taste of I'm going to be able to make an app because that was what the whole camp was about is you use this program called Multimedia Fusion 2, which again was kind of a drag and drop, but a little bit more complex. And if you code your app in Multimedia Fusion 2, then you can deploy it to the app store and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so at the end of the camp, you know, everybody makes their app and then you have this little display for all the parents to come in and see. And I remember there was one instructor there and I went up to him and I said, hey, this is really cool that I can show my parents this on, on a phone or an, an iPod, iPad, but I really want to get into the app store. And I, I asked for some help and he was like, sure, no problem. And so he was a, the greatest mentor. Like he was, he was such a influence to me early on um, because we would i swear we we've emailed like 200 times back and forth like me asking him questions like how do i do this thing in multimedia fusion 2 and um getting things on the app store and so he was very very helpful and eventually got my first app on the app store like maybe a year after that camp that's amazing i am definitely going to ask you about that because i saw you have a portfolio of like 11 of those so i definitely want yeah. to dive in <laughs> and better better understand those so so it sounds like you're like your mom through her teaching, was that your your first exposure to programming? Yeah, I would say it was my mom and then a little bit of my grandpa as well, because he was actually an instructor of computer science at a community college. And so he kind of, you know, thought coding was cool. And I thought coding was cool too, because of that when I was younger. Um, but yeah, those are my main influences. Okay. And talking about that camp, what was the about how old were you at that time, if you remember? I know I was in middle school. Okay. I want to say I was like 12. Yeah, because I think I got the first that first app published at the App Store when I was 13. Okay, very cool. So you that, yeah. that's awesome that you had that early exposure and quite fortunate in hindsight. So very cool. Okay, fast forward 2018, looks like you graduated high school and I see that you, you were in the band, you played tennis, golf, and basketball. So starting with, with band, what instrument did you play? Play the trumpet. Love playing the trumpet. Okay, I was yep. uh, I I played the saxophone, so I can I can appreciate uh, a fellow a fellow band guy. Very cool. I and love it. Uh, of tennis, golf, and basketball, what was your 
what was your favorite? I feel like you probably had to focus on one more than the other, but maybe I'm wrong. I would say tennis was probably the most fun. Um, I was never like super good at it or anything, but I just love the sport. And I would say it's a sport I still play the most now. Um, and that's partly because if you just find one person, you can go and play tennis and it doesn't cost any money. Like golf, you can go play by yourself, but then you have to pay green fees and basketball. You got to find a whole group of people. Um, but I, I liked them all. It was, it was all really fun. Okay, very cool. And, and I guess you'd mentioned the, the competitive aspect early on in life. And I guess these sports were a natural extension of that as well. Yeah. And I would say that that competitive side of me was really fueling me until around middle school, I would say. And at the time, I remember I was playing for three different basketball teams and I honestly just kind of felt burnt out of basketball. And I was like, I, I, I'm kind of tired of competing all the time and feeling I need, like I need to compete with everything. And um, like I remember taking a Gallup Strengths Finders test around that time. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's like they give you a top five of what your strengths are. And competition was like my number one or number two. And like I've taken the test more recently and it's not even in the top five. Like I just, I don't feel that same kind of, motivation anymore i would say interesting how we, how we evolve right so and i should also point yeah. out the fact that i think your michael is six four for those that that are unaware so he can he can also dunk a basketball so that probably helped <laughs> on the on the basketball front just a little bit very cool and so going back to high school programming wise i know in the background it seems like you had this organic interest that you were exploring were you doing any any of the the many projects that i see here listed on your linkedin profile were you working on those during this time frame as well I was in high school. It was actually really, really fun because I had a couple of friends that, you know, I told them, Hey, I'm making apps. Do you want to join in? And so I had one friend join and he helped me code. And then another friend um, was our graphic designer. And so it was nothing like official. We just kind of did it as a, as a hobby. But I remember specifically one time in high school, we were taking a science class and we had to do a presentation about core dates. And I don't really remember what chordates are anymore. There's some type of like animal phylum or something like that. And anyway, we were like the last group that had to present. And every group that was going in front of us, uh, like no matter how good the presentation was, or our teacher was like purposefully, it felt like grading them really hard. And so we were like, all right, we need to do something that's going to get us a good grade in this class. And so I was like, let's just make an app because I feel like, you know, they can't give us a bad grade if we make an app. And so we did that. And the app got published at the app store like the day before we had our presentation. Like, the timing was almost perfect. That's amazing. And, and it ended up working out. But that was just one of the fun memories I, I had of making apps in high school. Very cool. Okay. Now let's, let's move on to college. So if I'm reading the timeline right, it looks like you might have actually started out in computer science for about a year, year and a half, and then you switched over to psychology. So I'm, I'm curious to better understand, I guess, that journey for you. Yeah, for sure. So... I started out college at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and I was in a program there that was specific, like it was for people that wanted to do computer science or business or both. And I have always, you know, I've been coding since I was young and I, I knew that was what I wanted to do. And so I went into this program that has a curriculum very focused around computer science and business. And I, I realized about halfway through the, my first semester in college that you know, I hadn't explored anything else. And maybe this would be a good time to do that while I'm in college before I'm, you know, out in the workforce and have a job. And so I ended up leaving that program just because, you know, the curriculum was very set, like, you have to take these kinds of classes. And I wanted to go out and take 
you know, I was interested in being possibly like uh, a doctor or a psychologist or something like that. And so I was taking um, like anatomy and physiology and, and biology and those kinds of classes. And that wouldn't really fit with that curriculum. So um, that's, that's kind of what led me away from computer science for a little, little while. And I think I held on to the computer science major for a year. And then my second year of college, I think I officially switched it to psychology and then ended up transferring to a different college after my third semester at Lincoln, transferred to the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Okay. And, and so jumping to your, the experience that you have listed, I see jumping back a little bit, I guess in 2017, you were actually, you were an intern at the University of Nebraska at Omaha and you played a little bit with machine learning. So what was that like? Yeah, no, that was an awesome experience. It's kind of cool looking back on it now because we, I was working with um, researchers who were very focused on wrist movement and how we can use that to detect gait, like when you're walking and just there, there's like a lot of different applications. They were looking into like detecting if someone's been in a car crash based on a, a wrist worn accelerometer. It was called like a 3D accelerometer, I think. And so anyway, they were doing a bunch of research in that area. And so I joined in and the idea was I could pick out something that I wanted to research and then they'd help me with it. And I was like, it would be cool if we could detect if somebody was washing their hands or not, which looking at that now, it's like COVID happened, not, you know, like three years after that. And so it's kind of cool to, um, yeah, when that happened. But anyway, it, it was really cool. I got a lot of help, a lot of really good help from those people. And, uh, I got to kind of design my own experiment. And so I, I remember like walking people um, through a set of uh, tasks that they had to do. And one of them was like washing their hands. They had to like dry their hands. They had to like walk up and down stairs, different things. And then um, the researchers, they would help me like put all that data into um, like a machine learning program. I, I didn't do too much of that. And in all honesty, like they, they really took the wheel there. Yeah, it was cool. Like we had some sort of accuracy that we could detect hand washing with when you're wearing a 3D accelerometer. So it was cool. Okay. And I see you also, so it was around that same time that you developed your first website for Papillion Windows Insiding using Wix. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. I, I can't even remember how I got connected there. Papillion Windows Insiding had a website that they wanted updated and I, I had never done any website design before and I knew Wix was relatively easy to use. And so I asked if that would be okay if I did it in Wix and they were okay with that. So that's, that's how I ended up building that website. That's awesome. It was just kind of like a little side gig thing. Yeah. You kind of just put yourself out there and, and you got a good result from it and you learned something new. Yeah, for sure. And then, so I see you've got a few other miscellaneous, you, you were a material handler. It looks like you interned as an information technology site reliability engineer. You were a physical therapy technician. So an amalgam of jobs, was this you still gaining different experiences, finding yourself and exploring what you might want to do for a living? Yeah, I would say the material handler job at Nebraska Furniture Mart, that was more of just like a trying to make money before college sort of thing. Um, so basically what I did there is I worked in a warehouse and whenever somebody ordered like a couch, then I go out onto the floor, wherever the couch was and like pick it up and bring it back and wrap it up and get it to the people who were going to ship it out. Um, but after I got into college, I put a really heavy emphasis on exploring things that I could potentially be interested in. And so um, as soon as I left that program I was in, that was focused on computer science and business. I was like, all right, I should probably get some sort of experience in something that I think I could like. And so actually I thought I wanted to be an MD first 
And so I talked to an MD actually and had a good conversation and kind of ruled that out early on and then thought about psychology a little bit. And then I, I can't remember exactly how I got like thinking about physical therapy, but I really thought that's what I wanted to do within the whole kind of like healthcare system. And the reason I wanted to do physical therapy is because I knew I'd be helping people every day that I went into work and I could see that impact directly. And I also knew I wasn't going to be, you know, influencing somebody's life. Like it, it would never be like a life or death kind of situation, which is kind of what led me away from being certain types of doctors and, and things like that. So um, I thought it would be a perfect fit for me. And so I, I got a job as a physical therapy tech and it, it was a great experience. And I really got to see what physical therapists do every day. And after being there for a little while, I kind of ruled that out as well. I would say it was around that time when I was like, all right, I, I've done enough exploring, I think, and I want to come back to computer science. That's what I've always known. I do really enjoy it. And I think I just need to find a role within software engineering where I feel like I'm impacting people's lives in a positive way. Because I, I feel like the reason I kind of strayed initially was I wasn't sure if, you know, if I was a software engineer, would I just sit at a desk for eight hours a day, staring at a screen and not really impacting people's lives. And so I feel like I've started to try to do things, at least like in my spare time, where I feel like I'm building software that's helping. Good for you for, for exploring your interests, especially at that age. I know it probably took me 10 years after college to finally land on what I want to do, quote unquote, for the rest of my life. So good for you for being willing to explore. And, and if I guess if the audience takes nothing else away from this, if you've got the opportunity to explore, explore because just like Michael said, you know, he, he tested and he tried a bunch of different things and he eventually came back to programming, which is what we're going to focus on next. So it sounds like it might've been that moment. That was my next question is when, when did you know that you wanted to, to commit and become a developer? Yeah, I would say it was really, it was really close to that time period, if not that time period. So I left that job once I realized that I didn't want to be a physical therapist and I started working at the company that I interned at the previous summer, I believe, is when I last interned there. I, I think it was after I came back and started working in a software engineering type job again, where I was like, all right, I think I can, I think this is what I want to do. And ever since then, I've just tried to, I still hold, held on to the psychology major because I, I did enjoy it. It was very interesting to me and it was different than computer science. And I also didn't want to stay in college for you know, another X number of years because I switched my major and then switched back or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And so you finally committed and I was going to ask, how do you feel or how did you feel at that time? I would imagine some sense of relief that you had finally selected a path. Oh yeah, for sure. I can't tell you how many times I'll go on Google and look up, you know, jobs where you help people, fun jobs <laughs> where you help people, jobs that pay a lot where you help people, things like that. Yep. And I'd search any of that. And then all the links were purple just because I would spend so much time doing that. And it was just always on my mind. And I was on in a sense of like, you know, when you don't know what you're going to do, it, like it's still a form of stress, you know, it, you just feel, even if you have a path that you're not hundred percent sure is right. If you know, you're sticking to that path, then you feel better because of it. At least I felt better because of yep. it. Beautifully said. Now, a lot of people are afraid that they can't learn programming. You know, what did you struggle with the most? It sounds like you were blessed to be exposed to it early on, but was there anything in particular that you struggled with, maybe retaining some of the stuff that you were learning? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very fortunate that like my my parents were very, you know, supportive and willing to to put me in camps and, and things like that. But I would say with learning to code, one of my biggest struggles 
And I still struggle with it a little bit today. This stuff I've definitely seen improvement over the years, but I will be working on something. I'm trying to figure out a problem and I can't figure it out. And so I get frustrated. And when I get frustrated, or this is how it used to be, I would get frustrated and then I would still try to figure out the problem while my frustration would increase. And then the more my frustration would increase, the less I would be able to figure out a solution that, or the less likely I would be to figure out a solution that would work and work well. So what I've come to realize over doing that probably too many times is that whenever I start to feel that frustration, it's a good idea for me to just completely get away from my laptop, just like go for a walk, or if it's close to bedtime, sleep on it, wake up. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed with a problem in my head that I can't solve and I wake up and it's just there, or I have new ideas. Like your brain does a lot of things when you're not actively thinking about the problem. And I think I kind of underestimated that power and just tried to brute force it. But then when you do that, you just get more frustrated and can't figure out the solution. I can also speak to that. There, there's been many a night where I don't know if I dreamed about the the issue or whatnot, but woke up in the morning and had a different approach that ended up working. So that that's very well said. Now, so for your learning yeah. method itself, I think in the past you've told me that you learn best through projects. So what, what does that look like for you? Because I I like watching videos and like on the side, I'll have you know a project open and try to. I guess, code a little bit ahead of the instructor, almost as a gamification of learning it that way. But, you know, mm -hmm. you, you've built a great portfolio of projects. So is that that's your preferred means to learn something new? Yeah, I would say building things. And sometimes, like when I first got started making uh, Flutter apps, and Flutter is the framework that allows you to develop cross-platform mobile apps. So like before I knew anything about Flutter, I, I love going on Udemy and doing... I usually don't get all the way through the course. In all honesty, I usually get about halfway through and then I'm like, all right, I know enough to do what I'm trying to do. Same. Yeah. And because I feel like you need to have a, like there has to be a demand for learning what you're you're trying to learn. Like it's hard for me to read a book or consume a course where I'm learning things I don't know if I'm ever going to use in the future. But if I'm trying to build a specific project and the project needs these specific sets of things I need to learn, then I'll be much more able, like better equipped to learn it. Do you take copious notes or have you learned to rely on documentation or perhaps a mix of the two if you're, say, learning a new language? Yeah, so I honestly, I don't take a ton of notes. I would say I, I do keep the like practice apps if you're doing like a mobile app course or um, programs that you're writing from a course on my computer so I can reference them later because usually they have pretty good snippets of code that I can reuse for things. And, and kind of going back to, to online courses on Udemy, like a couple courses that really stick out to me are courses by Dr. Angela Yu. She has one on Swift and another one on Flutter that I've both taken and both really like those a lot. Nice. All right. And I want to jump back a little bit now because I saw that you gave a Swift presentation at an Apple seminar. Uh, I, I, I did a double take when I saw that. I want to learn about how did you, how did you find the opportunity to do that? What was that experience like? So I was, I was very fortunate. Once again, this is my mom. She, so now she actually works for Apple. But before that, though, she was very passionate about using Apple products in a classroom and was doing all these things with iPads and teaching teachers how to how to use them. And so Apple was interested in hosting this seminar in Bellevue Public Schools, which is where she worked at the time. And so she told them that I like making apps and was coding them in Swift and they were excited about it. And so I, I went there and I showed them one of my apps. I can't even remember which one it was. And I just kind of talked about it and 
that, that, that was really it. It was just kind of like a little 30 minute presentation um, where I just showed like it's possible for students to learn this kind of thing. And they had questions about like how I learned, you know, how to do this and, and things like that. That's amazing. If uh, so, to, to anyone listening that might be interested in putting themselves out there and trying to find conferences like that to, to speak at or to participate in, do you have any, I guess, general advice, anything that might translate? I know it might have been a while for that and it was a unique situation, but does anything jump out at you specifically? You know, I, I honestly, I've been very, very fortunate, very privileged to like receive a lot of the opportunities that I have, but I would say now I have started going to more of these social events in Omaha that involve tech people. And there are more people than I thought that are willing to, you know, they just meet you and then just simply meeting somebody and having that initial connection, then they're willing to help you out in more ways than I was expecting, you know, like, oh, do you need a job? Do you need to get connected to this? And then they know other people and just kind of tapping into the networks of people that you meet. And, you know, soon enough, you go to four or five of these things, then usually there's there's somebody there that can help you out in the way that you want to be helped. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing advice. And again, the, the importance of the the network and not in a bad way, but building genuine, authentic relationships and putting yourself out there. That's very well said. Let's jump back to the career now and a scary topic, interviewing. Obviously, you worked at LinkedIn. That's where I met you. Was LinkedIn your first real tech interview? LinkedIn was my first tech interview. And what was that process like for you? I was actually expecting a different process and then happened. So I came on as a contract software engineer intern, which is kind of a unique position. And so I was informed that I was going to have a initial coding round where it'd be like one or two questions, 45 minutes. And then if I pass that round, then I have a full onsite, which would be like four coding interviews or maybe three coding interviews and one system design interview, and then like a manager interview and things like that. Um, and so when I had my first interview with LinkedIn, it was the 45 minute coding one. And I got asked one question and I thought I did well, but I wasn't hundred percent sure if it was like good enough to, to move on to the next round. And then I got an email saying that they're interested in hiring me. And I was like, wait, that was the only round. Like I thought I, thought I was going to have a whole onsite and all this. And yeah. I, I couldn't believe, I remember I started shaking. I was like, there's no way that this is happening right now. That's amazing. Um, a very, very exciting moment. Very fortunate that it worked out the way that it did. And that, you know, I guess it was a good thing too, that I prepared for this next round that never happened because now I know more about system design and have done a decent amount of lead code problems. So yeah. That's what I was going to ask. So the problem that you did for LinkedIn, was it, was it a, was it a leak code type toy problem basically that you just solved in real time? Yeah, it was a question that you could definitely find on leak code and one that I've also had come up in, in a college course. So okay. it was, it was a good question for me, I guess. Nice. So, so it <laughs> yeah. sounds like that interview went really well for you. I, I still wanted to ask, what have you learned from interviewing? Because I believe even though that was your first, I think you, you have also interviewed since then. So were there any any best practices that have worked for you personally? Yeah, so for technical interviews specifically, there's a lot that I've learned. There's there's a difference, there's a really big difference actually, I think between you know going on lead code and solving a, a question yourself and having all that logic going on inside of your own head and not having to talk about it. But then when you're in an interview, you have to communicate what's going on in your head to the interviewer, make sure they're on the same page as you, and that's something, you know, just like talking out loud while you code, it, it sounds silly, but like it really helped me. And yeah, so I'd recommend that for sure. 
And then just understanding that it's okay if you can't think of the most optimal solution right away. I found that sometimes if you code out the brute force solution, then, then the interviewer can see your coding style rather than just leaving it blank, you know? And then sometimes when you're coding that brute force solution, kind of what we talked about earlier, like sometimes if you sleep on a problem you're trying to figure out, like while you're doing that brute force solution, sometimes your brain's working in the background and then you figure out the more optimal solution as you're going along. That's great advice. And then just like doing, I guess in general, just doing a lot of problems, you know, trying to get, you know, do problems from different kind of, kind of like categories, I guess your link lists, your hash maps, your arrays, all those different things. That's definitely helpful as well. That's great. Big takeaway is you, you don't have to get the, the constant time solution initially, get the, get the brute force, show that you can do it. And then, you know, if there's time left, you can talk about it and refactor. So that's great. Yeah. Have you had any bad interview experiences? You know, I haven't had any interviews that stands out as being much worse than all of the others, but I have had a handful of interviews that I left feeling like they just weren't the greatest. And those were all non-technical interviews. So LinkedIn is actually the only technical interview that I've gone through. And in those kind of interviews where I leave not feeling as, as great about it, usually I feel like we didn't talk about the right topics. Like I wasn't able to fully show who I was or what I've worked on, things like that or just wasn't able to connect with the interviewer super well. And then in interviews, like non-technical interviews where it has been better, I feel like, you know, we connect and we talk about things that we're excited about and I, I get to show who I am and things like that. So I guess in those, in those situations where it didn't go like you had hoped, did you beat yourself up or did you try to find the silver lining and course correct for future interviews? I, I feel like I overthink things a little bit. So like after those interviews, I'm thinking about it, you know, it keeps me up at night a little bit. And I just tell myself next time, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different and allow that to take a different path. And sometimes it still would happen, you know, but over time it happens less and less. Okay. It's good to know that you're human, Michael, because sometimes when we're <laughs> working together, I wasn't convinced. So, so thank you for, for actually being relatable. Now, I'd like to do a deep dive in your psychology, which you hopefully as a psych major would appreciate as well. What does your morning routine look like? I've been trying to get better about this. So when I was in high school... I had to wake up for like marching band practice or basketball practice. And I would set my first alarm like an hour before I actually needed to be up and then have legit like 10 alarms go off before I would actually be able to wake up. And I, I discovered this app that forces me to do math problems before like the alarm will stop going off. And so I, I have that now. And so usually I can wake up like right after that alarm and maybe one after that. So that's been an improvement for sure. So anyway, my alarm goes off. I uh, get up and then I go and work out and then come back, have some sort of breakfast usually. Sometimes I don't though. It just kind of depends on the day. And then like right now I'm in a spot where I'm not working. So I, I was just at LinkedIn and then I have a little bit of time before I start my next role. And so then I start working on my, my side project and usually have, you know, a couple meetings that have to do with that. And yeah. Okay. I definitely want to talk about that, that side project and your next play as well. But first, if you woke up tomorrow and you had unlimited money and you knew that it was legitimate and that you would get to keep it, what do you think you would do every day? That's a great question. I think I would probably work on side projects kind of like I am now. And if I had unlimited money, then I could fund them, which would be really cool. And I would just continue to try to build. So like if I did one kind of side project idea and it turned into a startup and then turned into something big, then I would want it to be something that 
could have some sort of positive impact on people and then just kind of repeat the process and do it over and over again. I think that would be the dream. So it sounds like you're pre you'd pretty much do what you're doing, but perhaps at a, a bigger scale, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's amazing. I, I try to start asking myself this question, Michael, when I was in my last career before moving into tech and my answer to my wife when we talked about it was I would, you know, I'd go get a computer science degree at Stanford or something like that, and then just figure out how to become a programmer. And fast forward to today, thankfully, there are other routes where you don't have to go through that formal education. You certainly can, but there are other avenues, which is amazing. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Any books or podcasts that have had the biggest impact on you, either technically or otherwise? I don't honestly read a lot of books or listen to a lot of podcasts. There's one podcast I do listen to now called the Accidental Tech Podcast, and it's just kind of a fun one that I listen to. I was introduced to it a few weeks ago, so I can't say for sure if it's really good or really bad right now, but that is something that I'm listening to. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say a ton of books or podcasts you know, that I've listened to here and there have, have had a great, like a really big impact on me. I would say it's more so been um, like those Udemy courses or just random YouTube videos that I find, because usually what I would do is I would go on a Udemy course, follow the tutorial for something, and then the end product would be close enough to what I want to build where I can just edit it from there. And I can go on Google and like find how to do certain things and kind of plug it into my app as I go and then get things to, to work there. Very cool. So I have added accidental tech to my to listen to list. So thank you for sharing that. I'd never heard about it. I will definitely check out that show. Yeah, cool. Tell me about the the two or three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. That's another great question. So the one the person that comes to my mind first is my wife. She's had a really, really big influence on me. I feel like I was very reserved and a little bit closed minded before we first started dating. And she is very outgoing and energetic and just wants to care about everybody and love everybody. And she's definitely helped me become more that way, which I really appreciate. And yeah, she's, she's just awesome. So her for sure. And then it's tough after that because there's so many people that I feel like have had an impact on me. But I would say like from a software engineering perspective, my mom for sure, because she was the one who was very passionate about trying to get me opportunities that could help me do what I really wanted to do and kind of live out my dream. So very thankful that she set me up with, with opportunities, got me connected to people. Like I remember when, when I was back in eighth grade or maybe a freshman in high school and she was teaching at this middle school in Bellevue and got me connected to their, they had like a, a STEM club and they wanted to build an app. And so she got me connected with them and I was able to build the app for them with a couple of my buddies and there's a zoo in Omaha called the Henry Dorley Zoo. And in, in junior high, I got like I was able to be a part of a program where we got to build an app for the zoo. And so we made this little jellyfish game and did just things like that. Like she's always been looking out for me and trying to set me up for success in that way. That's amazing. Yeah. Know your wife. And, and for those that don't know, Michael was relatively recently married. And congratulations again for that. Thank you. It's good that you have that support at home both now and when you were growing up. Yeah. What's one programming tip you've recently learned that you think the audience might find useful? So chat GPT is what everybody's talking about now. Uh, so that, that's kind of cool to play around with. But aside from that, I was semi-recently introduced to aliases that you can use from a terminal. So like if you use um, Z shell, for example, like I do, then you can modify your Z shell 
RC, and I'm not sure what RC stands for, but there's a file where you can specify like, hey, if I type in um, GST, for example, then it'll run the command git status. And so it seems kind of unnecessary, but it's amazing how many times I type in git commands that take a while to type. And if I just can do it in three letters, it's pretty cool. And there, there's a lot of um, utility there, I feel like. so. I think you shared that with me before you left, actually. I remember trying that as well. And again, for those that don't know, Michael types like 200 words per minute. So he's, <laughs> he's not going to say that, but I will say that. But if he's using that to, to expedite the process, it, it would probably help us mortals out as well. Well, and it's also very helpful because, you know, sometimes you forget more complicated commands. Like, And it was actually a coworker at LinkedIn um, that introduced me to these initially because she shared with me her file that had all the aliases in it. And she had some where you could like connect to certain um, services that LinkedIn had. If you could go back in time and send a message to your former self to help you during your transition into tech, what would it be? I think it would be that there are definitely ways that you can feel like you're helping people if you're in tech. Because I think that was one of the biggest things that I struggled with. I always envisioned software engineering as you're just alone in a cubicle. You don't talk to anybody. You can't be social. It's not, it's not really going to be fun. And the fun that I found in software engineering was always building my own side projects that I thought had some utility. And yeah, it took me a while to to believe that I could find a company that, you know, like I could do something that I could see the impact on. And even if it's just like an impact within my own team, you know, just trying to like see that in different ways, I think is what helped me a lot. Um, so like at LinkedIn, one of my coworkers and I, we we built this tool that allowed us to basically make a process that used to be kind of a pain, less painful. And then people on the team got to use it and they liked it. And it was just cool seeing, you know, even my own team members benefit from that. And so just, I think I would tell myself, look for that and you can definitely find it somewhere. Programming is a team sport. It's not a solo venture. Yeah, for sure. I like that. So what's next for you? We, we've danced around it a little bit. You are no longer at LinkedIn. Do you want to talk about your next play and maybe your app that you're working on? Yeah, for sure. So I left LinkedIn last month in November and I decided to take a little break. So I have two months now where I'm dedicating my time to working on the side project where I, I'm building an app with one of my cousins. And now one of my cousin's friends is also on board um, working with us. And so, cause my cousin is a software engineer and then his friend's an MBA student. And so we are building a, a mobile app and it's basically a platform for prayer requests. So when I was in college, I, uh, I lived in a religiously affiliated dorm. And in that dorm, we had a group me chat for everybody who lived in the dorm. And pretty often people would go in the chat and submit prayer requests. And then people could um, heart the message to let them know that they're being prayed for. And that's kind of where the idea came about because I saw people trying to solve this, not having a way to share prayer requests in kind of a hacky way, like on GroupMe. And I thought it'd be cool if there's an app just dedicated to that. And so that's kind of where the idea was born. And it's cool to see it kind of grow over time. And I feel like I'm learning so much by by doing this. So it's been a ton of fun. That's amazing. And I'm definitely going to put a link to your your portfolio of projects in the uh, in the episode show notes so people can check out your the progression of Michael Feldman as you've evolved <laughs> over the years. And I'm glad you brought up your faith, Michael, because that was one of the first things that I noticed about you. And it was so refreshing to experience that because... I was also raised in the church, and honestly, I've gotten away from that a little bit, but I guess I'm curious as to what impact your faith had on you throughout this, I guess throughout your life to date, if, if you'd care to speak about it. 
Yeah, I can definitely speak to that. You know, I think like growing up, I was raised um, Catholic and I, I think I just kind of like blindly followed everything that I was taught for a pretty big period of time, you know, until I was maybe in junior high-ish, that kind of um, time frame. But, and I think like the Catholic church definitely teaches some good things. And I think that there's also some things that you should question. And I think there's like with any, any place that you're in, I kind of learned like, it's good to really understand why you believe what you believe and to make sure that it is a good thing to believe. And so I think as soon as I had started having those kinds of thoughts, it initially kind of made me honestly a little bit less religious once I started thinking, you know, and eventually as I came back to it more, I kind of had this understanding that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I agree with enough to, you know, like the things that I think resonate with me and that makes sense to share with other people. Absolutely. And thank you so much for, for sharing. Again, it's, it's nice to have that, that fresh perspective that isn't as widespread, at least to me these days. So it's amazing that you, you bring that to the table as well. Is there anything else you want to talk about or anything else you think that people considering a career in tech might find useful? Um, I think, and we've kind of, we kind of covered this, but I really do think side projects are one of the best ways to get noticed and to end up with a job in tech. Um, like I mentioned earlier, LinkedIn was the only technical interview that I actually had. And all the other, other interviews that I had for these non-big tech companies, it was more so just me talking about side projects. And it's it's cool when the interviewer can see, like, you're not just talking about your project, but you can also show them it. Like, you're like, hey, here's a link to this website that has this many users or, you know, this app is on the app store, has this many downloads sort of a thing. And when they can actually interact with it, I feel like that has a really big impact on them. And I feel like not a ton of people are doing side projects. And I would also encourage people when doing side projects, try to find something that you care about or you think could help somebody else because it's way easier to be working on the side project when you have that as your motivation rather than I just want to build something so I can show it to people. Yeah. Build projects. You, you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. Almost everybody I talk to that's trying to make a transition, you know, everybody has the generic bootcamp projects, the to-do list, the weather apps and whatnot. So few have authentic projects that they've built that align with their interests. And you're the prime example of what building those projects over time can do for you in terms of a career. Where can we send people to find more out about you? So that website that you mentioned with my side projects on it, I think that would be a good place for people to see kind of what I worked on. And um, there, there's a couple links on a couple of the projects that maybe have like videos or articles about those projects as well. Um, but as far as like contacting me personally, LinkedIn is a great place, like LinkedIn messaging. Like if you send me a request, I'll accept. And I, I check LinkedIn chat pretty much daily. So I would say that's the best spot. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to tell your story from a psych major all the way to, to LinkedIn and now beyond. I know I personally learned a lot of things from you and your ascension into the field. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Growth Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for Exponential Growth, How to Break into Tech. If you got value from today's show, consider leaving a five-star review. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.